so glad you've joined us on the ERLC podcast to explore how the Bible addresses important cultural issues pertaining to life, religious liberty, marriage and family, and human dignity, and how we can walk in wisdom for God's glory and for the flourishing of our neighbors. If you're enjoying this podcast and find it helpful, please leave a review wherever you listen. This will help more people find and benefit from what we're learning together. We are grateful for the time you take to join us for these conversations. If you're in a place where you're consistently not being supported and you are consistently being discouraged and you are being dismissed, then that very likely is not the place where God would have you to be. Because God did create you in His image. God did call you. God has gifted you. Hi, I'm Trillia Newbell, and I'm excited to announce our series, Better Together. The series captures our desire to partner together as men and women in the church and beyond to advance the kingdom with mutual support and care. Better Together will address a wide range of topics from sexual abuse, leadership, women in work, women's ministry, and so much more. Our goal is to inform and equip listeners on matters most important to women in the areas of church, home, and work. Today on the podcast, we have Jennifer Lyle. She is the Vice President of Book Merchandising and Publishing for Lifeway Christian Resources. Jennifer and I have been laughing for the last five minutes, so welcome. I'm so (laughs) excited to be here. I am excited, too. It's really good to see you. It's great to see you. And we've known each other for I don't know how long. Probably five, six years. Yeah, five or six years. How long have you been in Nashville now? Oh, well. About five or six years. Yeah, yeah so, so I think probably, yeah. So it's it's really great to be here. Love the ERLC. Love you. So excited to talk today. Thank you. Well, we're just going to jump right in because Sounds we great. have 30 minutes and we're both talkers and that's just not enough time. So <laughs> I just shared your titles yes. and they are um, just incredible and reputable. And you have been in places and positions where you are the first or only woman. So my question is, and I'm sure a lot of women and men would like to understand, how have you been able to navigate those spaces? Well, first I would say that I've I've not always done so well. I started out in a place of not navigating well. I started out early in my ministry and in my career of um, the less natural it felt for my voice to be heard, the more loud I felt my voice had to be, Mm. which was really counterproductive and counterintuitive. And it's really a matter of grace that I had people who were kind and patient with me and found ways to be corrective and gentle and helpful. But really, it was I learned from women who did go before me at Lifeway. Thankfully, at Lifeway, although I am in a position of senior leadership at Lifeway now, I'm not the only woman in that in a position similar to that. Sure. Faith, Faith Watley is yeah. is a key key female leader at Lifeway who um, I believe has been Lifeway for about. 
about 28 years. And Faith and I are wired very, very, very dissimilarly. Okay. But, I mean, completely. <laughs> and she would say that as well, but we have a deep love for each other. But I've been, even though we're wired very, very differently, I've been able to watch from her and learn from her really practical aspects. But ultimately what has transformed my view has been a theological underpinning. That's good. And that is recognizing that ultimately, whether male or female, I'm talking to someone who's created in the image of God, and I'm engaging with someone who's created in the image of God. And if I look at that person as a fellow image bearer, then whatever those differences are, those fall away. And when it comes to the difference of gender, then all of a sudden, I've got a perspective of a brother and a sister. No, that's good. And once I have a perspective of of a brother and a sister, then there's a natural kind of flow, and there's a natural way in which we engage. There's a natural respect. There's a natural give and take. And so there are times whenever I will find myself, if I feel frustrated, I'm definitely high strung and can be fiery. (laughs) And if I am feeling unheard or if I am feeling... um, just like my viewpoint isn't the one that's winning, and I think that's wrong, I'll counsel myself that in my head I'll be saying over and over and over, this person is created in the image of God, created in the image of God, created in the image of God. And that's really what what guides me and what grounds me is -hmm. is recognizing that commonality that we have, that equality. No, that's really encouraging. And I I have a question about that, but before, you said that you are— you're, you would be loud at first. And yes. not every woman is going to do that. Actually, right. I I have encountered a lot of women who become fearful mm-hmm. and shrink back. Right. So how would you encourage the woman who is maybe the opposite? Mm-hmm. She's, she's going to be afraid and she's going to shrink back to actually use her voice right. in an environment, not just environment where it's male-dominated, but just environments in general. I, I'm going to keep coming back to theology because I think that's what guides us. And it's having a right understanding for that woman to understand that she has value before God, that she has been created in the image of God, and that she has been gifted by God, that there is no such thing as a follower of Christ who does not have a contribution to make Absolutely. to the kingdom of God. And so with that being the case, then that individual has a specific calling and has a specific purpose that needs to be represented. And so that person who is hesitant to do so, there's going to be a natural balance to how they do how how that comes, right? They're not right. going to be forceful like I was. They may struggle with needing to force themselves, but they can use that theological conviction of what God has called them to to force themselves to faithfulness in an area that's not as natural to them. Now that's that's so encouraging and inspiring and I I I think for a lot of women listening, Mm -hmm. that will help them to take a step of faith because a lot of this is a step of faith. Right. But— you had mentioned you've mentioned theology several times. Mm-hmm. So what do you what do you say to the person who is listening and saying, "Yes, I, I have that conviction. I believe that. I've stepped out, but I've actually not received support from men." Right. So how do you encourage her? Right. I think it is looking for the places and the spaces where you can find that avenue. I think this doesn't always have to be—one of the things we have to realize is that fulfilling God's purpose for us and living out God's plans for us may not always happen in the context of a Christian environment. They may happen in the context of a secular environment. It's true. I have a friend who, not because she 
wasn't accepted or supported in her church, but just because of how she felt felt led, she felt led to invest in younger individuals, and there was not a natural path that that was happening in her church, but yet she happened to meet someone who owned a chocolate shop. And this individual, this woman, she had extra time. And so she began to volunteer working at this chocolate shop. And it was a small startup business that needed help that was owned and operated by all young people. And now here's this older woman who comes in, who gives her time, who is a believer, who's naturally pouring into them in the cadence of regular life. I I don't accept the premise that Mm. there is not a place where you can serve. There may not be the place where you think you want to serve. That's good. Or the place where you ultimately may be called to get to serve. But there's always a place to begin serving. Mm. There's always someone on the fringe that no one is talking to. Um, I was teaching. I've got a, a young girl that is started coming to our church who um, wanted someone to read the Bible with her. And so we were, we were reading through John, and we were reading in John 5 last night about Jesus with the man at the pool of Bethesda. And, you know, it says this man, for 38 years he had been suffering, and he could never get down to the water because there was no one who would carry him, mm. that everyone else who was there, they had someone to help them. Well, if we open our eyes, there is always someone around who does not have someone to help them. Yes. And so we may not have, as women, as natural an on-road to the national stage, as much of an on-road to some of, you know, the biggest platforms. Absolutely, yeah. But that's not necessarily where the biggest ministry is. That's not where the biggest impact necessarily is. And so I think if we look for those one-on-one encounters and we're faithful to see those inside the church and outside the church, we're always going to have them. And that gives space for the woman who wants the quiet ministry or maybe the woman who wants the more of an advocacy ministry with a voice, the, the kind of thing that I'm wired more towards. Sure. No, that's encouraging. And that's good. I don't think we often think about to look outside. Mm-hmm. We get fixated on, okay, this is what I think. This is what I need to do. Right. And what I think we also can realize is that there are ways to serve outside of our local church that are um, commendable. Absolutely. And, of course, also in the areas of business and Absolutely. Work and, and, and life beyond. One, oh, yes. I, one thing I would not be me if I didn't mention, though, is that I dare say that there's not a church anywhere that does not want more children's ministry volunteers. Sure. Now, I, as a female who went to seminary, I had the stereotype that, like, all of the girls were there for children's ministry. Sure. And that was not me, and that was not my—you know, I was really—I was a theology nerd. And so I was very adamant with everyone that, you know, I'm not going into— children's ministry. This is not what I'm doing. And the way I serve um, most distinctly in my local church now and have for many years is through teaching three-year-olds. And it is, without a doubt, I've had the opportunity to teach adults. I've taught internationally. I've taught domestically. I've taught teenagers. And I've taught three-year-olds. And nothing is more challenging and nothing is more fulfilling than teaching three-year-olds the Old Testament every week. (laughs) And so I want to give a shout-out to those who are saying, I really want to serve within my church, yes, and I'm not finding a place to do so, I would say run to whoever coordinates your children's ministry and say, put me in 
the place where you need me the most. Mm. And the place where they need you the most is the place where God will use you the most. Mm. I have had the opportunity to have some of the most in-depth conversations about the Trinity that I've ever had with anyone with a four-year-old. Mm. That's incredible. It, 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 it is incredible. Well, you have to think also. You do. I mean, you have to think so deeply and about how, what you truly believe and how you can share it in such a way that makes sense. Absolutely. And so I, I have found that whenever I'm teaching young children, that I learn more about God. Absolutely. For me, that is absolutely the, been very much the case, and it's it also forces you to to teach yourself the basic truths of the promises of God, that we have a tendency to be distracted by the culture, to be distracted by the noise around us, to be distracted by the challenges, and be overwhelmed by those, where whenever you stand in front of a three-year-old every week and you remind them that God keeps His promises mm. and that His promise was to change our hearts, to make a way so that our hearts could go from being hard hearts to soft hearts that could hear, love, and obey Him, that basic fundamental truth transcends every other challenge that we have. Absolutely. That's so encouraging. And one of the things that I just want to mention also is that we can elevate certain types of ministry Absolutely. and elevate certain it's types of point. work and gifts. And, and so we just want to be on guard. Even as we're talking about women in leadership, we want to be on guard that we don't elevate. And um, so— That's a great point. Um, another thing that— in regards to this, we've been talking about women using their voice and, and stepping out in faith. A lot of times, I think we wait for permission from men in order to do that. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like you're saying, no, trust the Lord. Get right. your, your authority is from God and to right. step out in faith. Um, where do you see men, however, supporting women in this area? But Because I see from um, just our culture, mm -hmm. there's there's been a, a lot of— um, I, 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 I'm going to use the word pushback, or um, I don't. I, I really don't know what the best word to use. But towards men, men are can kind of almost be like the enemy. Exactly. Yeah. That's so not been my case. I, you know, I have I have had um, I have been incredibly supported, and I've been incredibly supported by men toward ministry at times when I look back and think, oh my, how how did they see something in me that was worthwhile because I was so rough around the edges? But I would say first and foremost is I've been fortunate to, um, particularly in my current church where I've been for 10 years, I have a pastor who is a true shepherd pastor. Mm -hmm. He is, you know, the founding pastor of the church, been there for over 26 years, and he his authority is my primary authority in my life. Like, it's under his authority that I serve. If I write something that is going to be done, if I'm going to do something like a podcast like this, I mm -hmm. talk with him about it beforehand. And that gives me a sense of covering and guidance that I don't I don't kick against. I want that yeah. because God has given him that responsibility and that perspective. And I've been greatly encouraged through that. That's not been a, a, a hindrance. Mm -hmm. That's been a means of freedom and opportunity. But then I've been given incredible opportunities. Um, certainly, it's interesting. I, I have to say, being this being the ERLC podcast, I can remember— 
being a seminary student when Dr. Moore was, I think, his first semester after he finished his PhD, was teaching one of my, I think then it was called Introduction to Christian Theology classes, and learning from him and had the opportunity to sit under Dr. Moore's teaching all through seminary. And as I began to uh, approach the conclusion of my Master of Divinity degree, he actually stopped me in the hallway one day and said, you need to do a Ph.D., like, bring me the paperwork. I'll oh, fill out the so paperwork. Great. You you need to be in the Ph.D. program. And ultimately, I did go into the Ph.D. program, decided that there wasn't anything God was calling me to do with the Ph.D. <laughs> so I ultimately <laughs> didn't didn't finish the Ph.D. program. But that's an example of, of a male leader who's going out of his way to say, no, I see something that I, you know, let's nurture, let's encourage this in you. At Lifeway, I've worked for Dr. Tom Rayner for— or, um, almost 16 years between my time at the seminary mm-hmm. and my time at Lifeway. And without exception, I have never been in a position where I felt that um, there was any hesitation for him to receive my voice as a woman. So I've been within Christ- Christian institutions, within the Southern Baptist Convention, within our seminaries. Dr. Moeller has been incredibly supportive of me throughout my education and then even since I've been as a graduate. Mm-hmm. I'm probably, as a very strongly wired female, maybe one that people would expect that that to not be the case, but mm-hmm. I've I've had nothing but support. I think, though, that that's been because I have recognized the value of their voice as well, that's and I have not yeah. kicked against it. And this is only due to the grace of God, is that I really don't have an agenda or a sense of something I want other than I try to discipline my heart to only want what God wants. Mm-hmm. And I certainly fail at that at many times, but that's where I try to go back. And it's, I think, if anything, perhaps maybe they see that, and so they encourage that. Um, so I think godly men will encourage the godliness that they see in us sure. when we display that. No, that's encouraging. So for the woman who's listening and saying, amen, that's great for you. Right, right. How do you encourage her faith? The, the woman who hasn't experienced right. this amazing support. Right. One, we, we're encouraged that there are men out Absolutely. there who are for you and who are supportive. But how, how, do you, how would you encourage her? I would say that, you know, I'm talking about those who I can, I happen to be in a position to be able to point to names that people know. But the reality is, is I think this is the majority of the men in our church. Hmm. This is the men, the dads who come and pick their kids up from my Sunday school class and thank me with tremendous earnestness Mm -hmm. for how I teach their children. I I think guys really do get a bum rap Mm -hmm. that they're necessarily against us. That's that's just not been my experience. So I would say to that woman, I would say to look with the lens of expecting support instead of through a cynicism. And now I've had that to be said, I've certainly had experiences where I've not been supported. I've had experiences where I've been abused. I've had experiences where I've been exploited. Mm -hmm. And it would be very easy for me to make that the narrative 
that is at the epicenter. But I work to push that to the periphery because that's not where God is honored for me to focus. Hmm. God is honored for me to focus on godliness. Hmm. And so we deal with those things. We approach those things. We handle those things when they come up in a way that needs to be handled. But then ultimately, I think we need to to put our focus in those places where we see God working Mm -hmm. and encourage those voices. It might be one man in your church who's kind to you, but, you know, esteem that man Mm -hmm. to your pastor and um, encourage your pastor. And and I think that you'll get encouragement back. But I feel for those women because I have really had such extraordinary experiences of being Mm well-supported that um, I hope, if anything, perhaps maybe the encouragement they come away from is this is possible. Mm -hmm. And maybe if you're in a position where you're consistently not being supported, that's not the best place for you to be. No, no, that's actually helpful. I want you to repeat that so that you can hear it. If, yeah. yeah. <laughs> if you're in a place where you're consistently not being supported and you are consistently being discouraged and you are being dismissed, mm-hmm. then that very likely is not the place where God would have you to be. Because God did create you in His image. God did call you. God has gifted you. And as you are submitting yourself to Him, and you know the state of your heart, Mm -hmm. and if you're being humble, and if you're being submissive before God and pursuing the things that you know that God is leading you to do, and you're consistently hitting up against walls, then that's probably an indication that God might be leading you somewhere else. Yeah. And I think that we it's okay. We do that with great care. We yeah. do that with great prayer. And certainly you want to receive patience and godly yeah. counsel and make sure that you're not um, you know, reacting, but at the same time that you are taking action. Absolutely. When you need to take action. Absolutely. So you have, um, well, not just you, but one of the major topics of 2018 has been in the area of abuse. Mm-hmm. Um, where have you seen this play out in the broader culture and in the church? I ask this because you are in a leadership role, so Absolutely. you have seen and 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 watched the culture yeah. react to this. Yeah. Um, I will say. First, I want to say that I it's impossible for me to address this question without acknowledging that I experienced um, sexual abuse, abuse of many forms, actually, both as a child as well as as an adult. So I've experienced sexual abuse specifically both outside of the church as a child and in the context of Christian community as an adult, mm-hmm. which is a... I don't know how distinct a a lens or perspective that is. I hope it's rare. But it does give me one that has made the past really couple of years really, really challenging. Mm -hmm. And it's particularly very challenging. The the hardest thing for me has been whenever instances of abuse, exploitation, sexualization of women, sexual assault of women come to light and the church is quiet— Mm-hmm. The church is dismissive. And by the church, I don't mean, you know, we're not Catholic, so we don't have one voice that can speak for us, but we certainly have key leaders, right? right? And so when those leaders who are on the national stage are silent or are somehow dismissive of the significance, it has been one of the biggest 
seasons when I have struggled with rage mm-hmm. of of just desperately wanting to um to unbridle my voice mm-hmm. as much as possible and shout to the roof, shout to the mountains, shout to anyone who will hear, this is not okay, right. and you don't understand what this is. Um, but I don't know that that's helpful, and so I've sought to be prayerful and to be quiet. I'm, I have great support from a pa- my pastor and his wife, um, know of my experiences and my past, both as a child and as an adult. I have a tremendous um, educated, gifted, godly counselor who has walked with me through all of this. And so I've I've been very slow to speak in mm-hmm. this season. It's only recently that I've began acknowledging that, yes, this is something that I've walked through. And the reason I have is because I think it's important that people begin to understand how prevalent this is around them. Yes. And one of the things that was the most shocking is there was a time when I, um, I decided that the leadership team on which I serve— because of just various circumstances that were going on within the Southern Baptist Convention and um, within my world, that they needed to know Mm -hmm. what I was walking through. And I shared my story with them. And this is a group of about 12 or 14, and there are two other women on on the team. And so mostly men who have worked with me for years. And the thing that I heard from most of them was how surprised they were that this could happen to me. And what they meant and what many articulated was, but you're so strong. And I even had one individual who has two children, two daughters, one who's kind of more fiery and one who's more shy. And that individual said, I could see I worried about this with the one who's shy, Mm. but I wouldn't have worried with the other who's more like you. And so... Part of why I began to speak is to say there is no type Mm -mm. to which this happens. There is no single circumstance in which this happens. Mm -hmm. There is no limitation to how far this can go. Um, So that's that's one aspect, I would say, of how I've been affected. The other aspect is I have—and this is maybe going to sound crazy, but I have a real heart for the families— of those who are connected to the abuser. Yes. Because as these stories have gone public in many instances, you know, abuse generally doesn't happen in isolation. It generally happens in the context of relationship. Yep. And abusers are not generally isolated. Abusers generally have families. If you look at two of the most prominent cases in the national media that have come out in the past couple of years, the Larry Sandusky case and the Larry Nassar case, both of these are married men with children, with families, part of the extended, you know, community around them. Well, in the aftermath of these things coming to light, which they should and they must— there's another set of victims. Absolutely. Their family is upended. Their worlds are turned upside down as well. And it is it is a challenge and a struggle as someone who is the one who is abused to take the step 
that you know is going to create that disruption Absolutely. in someone's life. And so I think that there are there are so many reasons why people don't understand um, why abuse victims don't come forward. And that's one that I've not heard people talk about, but I think it is key. I think also just how easy it is for someone, if you've been abused, the statistics on someone who's been abused once being abused again yeah. are astronomical. And I know in my situation that was definitely a factor, is it's much easier to believe that something is your fault absolutely, or that you're somehow causing it even when you're saying no if it's something from your past, you know, that somehow something got broken in me and it's making this thing happen. Yeah. So the confusion that is brought through this, again, brings me back to theology and to remembering that God is not a God of confusion. No, He's not. God is a God. He's the voice of truth. Right. And the the voice of confusion is the author of lies. And so where we find confusion and where we find pain and where we find things that do not stand up against the Word of God, that's when we must speak, whether it's abuse, whether it's women not having a voice in a place where they need to have a voice, whether it's, you know, imbalance in the church as far as the kinds of ministries that we have. All of that, ultimately, we hold it up not against the culture, not against what we want, not against what our emotions want, but what, what does the Word of God say? That's what our standard is. And so that's that's how I've tried to discipline myself throughout this. But it's it's been hard. It's hard to watch the news. It it's, is. You know, it's hard to listen. I made the mistake of listening to the Kavanaugh Senate hearings, and that was one of the hardest um, things I've ever done. And it's a sad day when listening to Senate confirmation hearings can be Leads emotionally gut-wrenching. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. No, that I experienced similar emotions. It was very difficult. And I bet, um, I imagine that a lot of women and men who are listening to this experience the same and, and struggled this last couple of years. I would say that's been one of the things that's been the most encouraging to me has been to see how some key men have responded to what has what has come forth. You... And I know many of these same men, but I think about Ray Orland. Yes. I think about Dr. Moore. I think about Dr. Moeller in the article that he wrote on the reckoning of the Southern Baptist Convention when it became clear that this was an issue within our own denomination. And what it has meant for me as a woman who walked through this to have these men who I respect literally at times weep with us mm-hmm. and say, no more, this is not okay. We cannot tolerate this. Mm-hmm. And that has been a point of great encouragement um, to be believed, to be told I'm sorry by men who I respect right. and men who I never thought I'd be having conversations with about these topics, yeah. you know, um, has been really incredibly redemptive in light of all of the challenges of the past couple of years. No, that's that's encouraging. And we're going to keep going because I have I do have two more questions for you. One, you talked about where you're encouraged. Right. Seeing Ray Ortland, who we're all encouraged by yes. Ray Ortland. <laughs> yes. If you don't follow if you're on Twitter and you don't follow Ray Ortland, you or you need to you unfollow doing it everyone wrong. else and just follow Ray Orland for <laughs> yeah. a while. <laughs> yeah, and his Instagram. He's yes. just so encouraging. Um, 
where would you like to see the church grow? Mm. Because we have, there are places where we, we really need to grow. I think in a lot of ways, from my perspective and what I've seen, I've seen a lot of reaction. Mm-hmm. And and so, um, which which is good. People are responding, right. but it would have, it would be wonderful if we wouldn't be such so reactionary. We'd right. be on top of it, but that's just mine. So what about you? What do you think? I think that we have, um, there's one thing that I've said often that the church needs to realize and understand. And, and actually, I'm going to say two things that the church needs to realize and understand. And that is, first of all, that sexual abuse does not only happen to children. Right. And second is that sexual assault is not only rape. Yes. And when you understand those two things, you understand the breadth of what you're dealing with. And I said to a friend recently who was pastors a very, very large church, I ran the numbers statistically on the number of women that he stands in front of every single week who have experienced sexual abuse or sexual assault of some form. And I said, when was the last time you made certain that those women knew there was a place mm. in the church for them to go? Well, you know what? I was greatly encouraged because he, you know, his answer was last Sunday and every Sunday mm. because they have a dedicated prayer room in this church for those to go who have been victimized by anything from uh, racial issues Mm. to sexual abuse to any kind of malignment of any form, where there are prayer warriors who have been trained to pray with those who have been victimized specifically to say, this is not how God would have it to be. Mm. Now, that's an incredible example of a church that's being proactive mm-hmm. on an ongoing basis. Yeah, I have I good. think we have a tendency to do and and I wonder I I worry at times that this being so much in the cultural conversation now that this will be a moment, right? That that 2016 to 2018 is when we talked about sexual abuse. Well, no. Sexual abuse is as old as the Old Testament. Yes. And it is not unfortunately going to go away. It is an ongoing issue. So it needs to be an ongoing ministry of the local church. I recently um, was doing some research and realized that where we live here in Nashville, that there is not any support groups Hmm. that operate within the context of any churches for sexual abuse survivors. Wow. Well— in this massive, in with this, all these church, all we're very these, church. <laughs> we're very, very, very church. Wow. And this is a massive issue. Well, you know, why is that? Well, it's the perception that no one will come. Well, no, people will come. People will come. So there's there's work for us to do. Some of that work we're beginning to do at Lifeway and, and to look at how we can serve in that way. So to me, I think where it needs to change is to go from us either just being preventative by doing things like background checks and education with children's ministry sure. or reactive, as you said, to instead broadening to understand what how big sexual abuse is, how many many it impacts, the same thing with sexual assault, and then having some sort of ongoing ministry within the context of every local church, whether that's, that's really a good. prayer ministry or it's a support group that that engages those who have been impacted by these issues. No, that's excellent. That's excellent. How could you encourage men and women to partner together? So we've been talking about leadership and thinking Absolutely. about how can they partner together because the name of the podcast is Better Together. Better Together. So how can we do this? I, you know, I, I will share um, 
within the Southern Baptist Convention, there's been a commission made to the, the URLC and Pastor J.D. Greer, the president of the Southern Baptist Convention, are working on together facing this issue right now. And because of my role, both my role at LifeWay as well as my personal experience with the issue, I had the opportunity to have a conversation with Pastor Greer about this and just saying, hey, how can I help? You call on me if there's something I can do. Mm -hmm. Well, a week and a half later, I got an email from a guy on his staff who's working on these issues who said, hey, can we jump on the phone? There's some ideas I want to bounce off of off of you. That is great. I, I really think it's just having conversations. It's it's us Starting saying, somewhere. it's us saying, hey, this is the elephant in the middle of the room. I'm willing to talk about it. Are you willing to talk about it? Mm-hmm. Now call on me whenever it's time for us to talk about it. And I've since had two or three conversations where um, we've been able to ideate and think through ways that we can serve churches. And all it took was saying, hey, let's talk. Yeah, It will be better if we have this conversation together. Absolutely. No, that's so that's encouraging. And that's a start. And we are looking forward to seeing what both LifeWay and the ERLC produce and do and resources to help encourage, prevent, equip um, people in this area. Because it's like you said, it's ongoing and it's essential that we face it and and. And not just deal with it, but help and support one another. And to remember that there is no situation that is impossible for God to redeem. Absolutely. Every situation. And speaking of redemption, will you end us on some gospel hope about both this topic of leadership and abuse? Yeah, I— There was a day over the course of the past year that was really significant in my journey as it was around the time that I was disclosing some abuse Mm -hmm. to some individuals. And it happened to be that that day someone came to preach in Lifeway Chapel, and the passage that was preached was Psalm 23. Mm. And, of course, we're all very familiar with that passage. But I sat on the second row, and I heard that passage through the lens of someone who is a sheep— who had been trapped, and then through the lens of who is my God who frees me. Mm-hmm. And so the best gospel hope I know to give us is to end by reading Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. There is nothing I lack. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He renews my life. He leads me along the right paths for His name's sake. Even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. Thank you for that. And with that, we will end this podcast. Thank you so much, Jennifer, for your time, for your wisdom, for your grace. And thank you, God, for Psalm 23. Absolutely. Thank you, Trillian. Thank you to the ERLC for all you guys are doing. We're, I'm really deeply grateful and always encouraged. Yes.